0: welcome to episode 238 of the reformed brotherhood i'm jesse
1: and i'm tony and we are proud members of the society of reformed podcasters for you.
0: Nothing in this world I do. hey brother hey brother we are officially into part three of our covenant series. We're going to be talking about the covenant of grace on this episode, Yes, which like all the other covenants is super exciting.
1: Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of that feeling you get where like you, you read through the old Testament and you spend like what feels like eight months in the prophets just getting beaten down. <laughs> and then you open up Mark uh, or Matthew and it's like a breath of fresh air. It's kind of like where, where we are now. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm excited.
0: Yes. So hopefully If others haven't been tracking to us heretofore, this episode is going to be great on its own. Some might say, of course, it's going to be the definitive episode on Covenant of Grace. But all that has preceded it, the other two episodes are equally worth listening to because really you can't get to an appreciation of this amazing Covenant of Grace and what that means with all of its fullness Unless we've talked about the Pactum Salutis, the Covenant right. of Redemption, and the Covenant of Works, so much good stuff there. So, if we can shamelessly plug ourselves before we go any further, <laughs> let's shamelessly plug ourselves and there say, go. please go back and listen to those two episodes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that they came out great. I think that they, uh, they're they helpful. And I would encourage you to go back and listen if you haven't. Uh, also, just a, as good a spot as any, uh, we are uh, going strong with this new newsletter thing that we're doing. So if you go to reformbrotherhood.com, uh, there should be a link in the Join the Brotherhood section that will point you to how to get that uh, episode uh, newsletter. And that newsletter really has uh, you know, a brief introduction to the episode. It'll probably have some Bible verses and some confessional statements that help kind of frame the conversation. Uh, and then it will have a sort of a suggestion for who you can share this episode with. So what we're trying to do with these, these newsletters is we're trying to make it easy for people to sort of get the word out. We've learned in the last 237 episodes that people use these podcast episodes as conversations starters on various topics. So we want to we do everything we can to make that easy. So now all you got to do is just be like grandma and just forward that email on to everybody in your contact list. Just send it right out. That's the way to do it.
0: Is it safe to say that we're offering a full 100% money back guarantee on satisfaction with those emails? Yeah. If
1: you're, sa- if you're not satisfied with the, with the newsletter, then I will pay you back. T- I'll give you twice as much as you paid for it. <laughs>
0: There we go. Yeah, I'll pay you back now,
1: with interest on that $0 that you paid for
0: it. There we go. Now, see, that was some quick, clever math there right you there. Go. That's what people have come to expect from us. So speaking of expecting things from us, of course, Covenant of Grace is on tap. But before we get to that, it's affirmation denial time. So yes. let me hear it. What do you got?
1: So uh, I'm going to do the uh, the let's repeat an affirmation thing, but I'm going to flip it up here. I'm going to affirm something you previously affirmed.
0: All right, so getting tricky
1: here. So I recently started on your recommendation, uh, the book called The Memory Book. And uh, I, I'm not as far into it as I think you were when you made the recommendation, but I can already tell that uh, this book is gonna be incredibly useful and helpful in trying to remember things and learning techniques to be able to learn and memorize things. Um, I'm not gonna try to do it now because I'm sure I will make a fool of myself. <laughs> uh, but uh, the the list of words that they give you, in and I think it's the second chapter, uh, to sort of prove their point that you can do this uh, I was reading before I went to bed I was a little bit tired and I was actually able to recall it without without much difficulty just from the very short uh, training that they give you in the first you know first two chapters of the book so check it out it's called the memory book it's a real easy read it's not a difficult read the chapters are super short um, and it, it is helpful because it it starts off kind of showing like learning really is a, as a memory act you you can't learn things without remembering them. And if you don't remember them, then you probably never really learn them. So I think it'd be helpful for anybody who's who's trying to study and learn concepts, who's trying to memorize things like scripture, confessional, catechetical you know, documents, um, or, or even things like when your wife asks you to go upstairs and, and grab seven different things to be able to remember what those seven different things are instead of coming down with half of them to have her look at you and be like, where's the avocado that I asked for? Right. So yeah. So, so check it out. It's called the memory book. I have no idea who wrote it. Uh, It's available on Amazon. It's really good. (laughs) I don't, I didn't, I didn't forget who wrote it. I never paid attention in the first place, which is one of their principles. If you forget something, it's it's actually that you never paid attention and learned it in the first place. So, so I'm learning already. That's great. Follow up question.
0: You keep your avocados upstairs.
1: Well, you, you understand the structure of our home because you grew up here. So I don't think the the average listener would have realized how ridiculous that statement actually is. I was kind of trying to generalize it to more people, but thanks for ruining it.
0: No, sorry. That's great. Here's the thing. Would you agree? And I hate to use this term because it sounds so kitsch these days. Would you agree, though, the cool thing about that book is it's kind of like memory hacks or hacks for just remembering things like it's simple. It's not complicated. It's just beautiful the way they laid out for you.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I haven't gotten into the other chapters, but just looking at the um, at the like the titles of them, it looks like some of the chapters are oriented towards remembering specific types of data. But then also others are oriented towards using data sets that you already know in order to sort of hook information onto um, you know like we've we've talked about the memory palace technique and, and things like that. but like another example might be, um, you know like how how we all remember uh, the order of the planets from the sun and we remember that it's every or uh, my very oh. excellent mother just served us nine. I suppose it's just nine now. So it'd have to be like, just served us, uh, <laughs> noodles. Not true. Like you'd have to get rid of P for Pluto, but it was nine pizzas. So that, that's exactly the kind of thing. Or like, uh, I remember the strings of a guitar going from the, um, bottom, like the downside of the guitar up is every beautiful girl drinks something alcohol. I, it's been a long time. I don't remember wow. the exact mnemonic, but I remember the, the chords cause my, my mom taught me that was the mnemonic. Um, So so check it out. It's called The Memory Book. I I, I can't I can't conceive of a person that would not be helped by improving their memory skills. For sure. So there really is nobody unless you somehow have like a perfect memory, which you don't. But if you think you do, then uh, then I guess don't don't read this book. But everyone else who forgets things from time to time and wants to remember better, this book would would serve them well.
0: And here's here's the thing about memory. It's a little bit like magic, isn't it? Like when you train yourself to be able to remember things, even if somebody says something to you in passing or to remember names, there's a whole chapter on names or numbers. He does this thing, which I've done for quite some time, which is every number basically takes on a sound. So you create words in your mind to remember numbers. Right. This takes just a little bit of investment but you look like a rock star, like whether it's in your professional life or your personal life, again, or memorizing scripture, or just for personal enjoyment to actually be able to read something. I mean, how many times have you and I read something? Maybe it's just me. I've read something and thought, oh my goodness, like I do not remember what everyone read two pages ago, or I have like a vague sense. And he presents for you a technique to process stuff in real time and then commit it to actual memory so you can metabolize it, use it, It's really, really fantastic. So you'll look like a rock star. So this is like an easy affirmation. It's a beautiful affirmation because it's just so wonderfully approachable. It resonates with so many different things.
1: Yeah, it's funny that you say that it's kind of like magic because he actually talks about how sometimes people in ages bygone uh, were uh, thought to be witches or sorcerers if they were practicing these memory techniques because they just seem to have knowledge and, and they just seem to be able to recall vast amount of knowledge without any real like explanation as to why. So people just assumed it must be witchcraft.
0: That's, that's how good having like an amazing memory is in terms of distinction. Right. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's worth the investment. It's it's super, super good. Yeah. So what are you affirming today, Jesse? So I'm affirming something that I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, but this is like a super awesome piece of software. Uh, There's like a mobile application for this. It's actually called Logos Bible Software. (laughs) It's super awesome. I've
1: never heard of that, And this might sound
0: like I'm just like sandbagging the affirmation and going with something that is already a sponsor of our show. But here's the thing. You listeners, brothers, sisters, you know us. We're not going to affirm something. We're not going to talk about something that we don't believe in. And I've actually been just crushing some Logos this week. And one of the things that I particularly like that I'm affirming is I think the search function in their software is like the best Mm -hmm. search function for both finding a passage in the Bible or finding anything of interest that you want to research from a theological perspective. So as an experiment, just now I typed in in the search covenant of grace and I have pulled up so many different resources. It's cross-referenced across the scriptures, across everything from Puritan preaching to several commentaries. If you want to study the scriptures well and read broadly and get a sense for what's happening and see what people have written on the past, I really believe there's nothing better than logos and there's lots of different packages. Some are more pricey than others, but they're all worth looking into. So in particular, I've just been really blessed by this search function, not to mention, like maybe you're using something like olive tree, which is fine. Or you've viewed the Bible gateway and you've typed in like trying to find a passage of the scriptures and you get partially there, or maybe it's like, that's not at all what I was trying to find. I've never had that issue with logos. It's just, the search is like so good, so precise And they actually like parse out their searches, actually tell you like, this is a fuzzy result because I think I know what you're talking about, but it's like partially connected. And so what I found is that not only do I gain the knowledge that I'm looking for, but I'm gaining new knowledge that I didn't even know I wanted to have because it exposes me to different things. Only Logos really does that. And it does it in a really profound way.
1: Yeah. And one of the things, you know, you mentioned it is possible to sort of hack together by using various online tools, something approximating some of the functionality that you might find in Logos Bible software. But uh, Logos actually has this whole array of sp- like uh, particularized technical ways to search for things that when you when you learn how to use those 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 specific search sort of formats, it really helps. So for example, if you type covenant of grace, you're going to find some useful things. But if you type covenant, I'm doing it right now as we speak covenant, and then within with capital letters, and then grace, Yes. uh, or within, let's say five words. So uh, within in words is capitalized, and then you say grace. Now what it's doing is it's searching every resource that you have. And it's searching for any time the word covenant appears within five words of the word grace. And you can extend that to lots of words. You could Amazing. say near grace. And I don't know exactly what near is, but some definition is probably like 10 words. And now we'll bring up a, a different set of search results that's more specific. So now we're actually sure that we're getting into the specific thing we're looking for. You might be able to do like covenant of grace in quotation marks on other resources, but I've never found anything that lets you search for like this word within a certain number yes. of words of that word um good luck trying to find somewhere where you can type in a greek a greek morpheme and find every place that that, that morpheme appears in the entire bible it just doesn't exist out there so you can uh Go to uh, Lagos.com slash Reform Brotherhood, and you can get a test a 10% discount on a Lagos package. And you know it's worth every penny, because even though uh, we need to be wise stewards of our money, and, and sometimes people look at this and it feels like a huge investment, it's an investment that really returns. and. My good brother here, Jesse, as the economic guy, will tell you that uh, it, even an investment that's a lot of money is worth it if it has a good return. So right. uh, check it out. Go get it. Ten percent is a generous discount that they're providing for our listeners. Um, you know, maybe maybe your pastor could use a new upgrade, or maybe someone uh, that you know who is a new Christian and wants to study the Bible. You want to bless them that way. There's lots of ways that you can make use of this, and they have different packages for different levels of expertise and different levels of depth that that people want to look at.
0: And that's why I'd encourage everybody to go check it out because it definitely is approachable. You may be thinking, well, listen, I'm just a lay person. I'm not a pastor. I don't have any vocational ministry in the formal sense. And the bottom line is this is just so useful for helping you to understand the scriptures better and to propel yourself into deep understanding of who God is because, and I'm going to borrow a little bit from R.C. Sproul here, the sense that we've like devotionalized our understanding of the scriptures. In other words, we've become so enamored with this idea of like, well, I'd spend some time, of course, I want to read the Bible and daily would be best. And I might spend some time reading it. But I think what he's often done is challenge people to say like, but how often are you studying? And a tool like this helps to bridge that gap between just moving from sheer devotions to a sense where you're actually doing some study. And that's really what's necessary. Like we should be devotional. We should be devoted to our studying of who God is, as He's explained himself in his specific revelation in the scriptures. So again, chalk this under the rubric of what a time to be alive yeah. because the fact that we can like spend money and get this amazing resource to be able to search things out. That's such an amazing thing. The last thing I'll say is that one of the things I really love about logos is that not only do they have like different levels, you know, you can kind of choose your way you want to wade into your involvement and what you want to spend in terms of like the types of resources you like to acquire. But beyond that, they kind of have all these like rubrics For the materials themselves. So you could get like the general package or you could get the Anglican or the Baptist or the Lutheran. I'm looking at you, Lutheran brothers and sisters, (laughs) or there is a reform package. So you can have all these wonderful resources. So I think it's just like, it speaks to them that they put together, not just really great materials, but they've already acknowledged that there are Christians that are coming from a particular theological perspective, and they'd like to see how that perspective informs how they're understanding the scriptures, and they make all those resources available. Like, you don't have to go through the work of saying, like, listen, I want all this good stuff, but like, give me the reform perspective on it because I'm convinced that's the best systematized ties to understand the scriptures. They've already done it. Yeah. Like, that's an amazing thing. So yep. it's, I'm just saying, everybody, just pause the podcast right now, Go out to Logos.com. Tony, hit them again with how they get that 10%, that beautiful 10% discount.
1: If you go to Logos.com slash Reform Brotherhood and make your purchase through that link, then you will be given that 10% discount.
0: There you go. All right. So let's go negative. What do you got for denials?
1: So I realize, I recognize the irony of making this denial on a Zoom chat with you, but I'm denying just Zoom anything at this point. I'm just sick of Zoom. <laughs> so we we as a congregation made the decision to return to gathered worship. Uh, we thought that it was the right time. Our, our numbers in our area are on the decrease. Uh, spring is here. We're being able to open windows and get some ventilation in. And uh, I'm just excited to not have to do Zoom worship services anymore. Um, I, you know, I, th- I, I think we all are thankful for the fact that we were given this blessing to be able to continue to see each other and to uh, worship in this sort of downgraded sense. Like, I, think, I think people who have their heads on straight realize that Zoom worship services are not a replacement for gathered you know, ecclesial worship. But that said, I'm, I'm really excited to see my brothers and sisters in Christ in person to hear hear their voices, right? When we're all seeing worship choruses or hymns or whatever, we, we have all of the people on mute because you can't keep people in time on a Zoom service because <laughs> a different lag. I mean, you can't, I mean, we're, we're like a bunch of like white people, so you can't keep us in time anyways, but, but the lag doesn't help. So I'm just denying Zoom anything. I'm just really sick of seeing people's faces through a screen, all of that. Doesn't said, I haven't changed my position. I'm not saying don't wear your mask like that. I mean, it's still, I'm still there. I'm just really worn out of Zoom anything. So I'm, I'm denying Zoom anything while at the same time with a little asterisk saying I'm still very thankful that God has blessed us with this technology to be able to do this stuff.
0: I want to uh, kind of affirm what you have said there because it's okay to admit that, isn't it? Like I think sometimes we feel a little bit guilty that like Zoom exhausts us. And mm-hmm. if, especially if especially work in a profession where you're taking a lot of Zoom meetings, that is like a real thing. So yeah. to be feeling like you're always on, that somebody's staring at your face, it doesn't mean that it's not a great thing. Yeah. But also we can acknowledge, can't we just say like, listen, it's suboptimal loved ones. I think we said yeah. that all along. Like right. we understand the purpose and the need for it right now. And at the same time, it's like a marker that shows us, hey, listen, this is not the way the world is supposed to be. Yeah. So like, there's no covenant of zoom. You know, it's not like <laughs> this is like the ideal situation. Like we've been waiting for this long promise sense of yeah. technology that would unite us even when we can't be together. This is still suboptimal. Right. We want to optimize our coming together. And that happens in coming together. So yeah. I think we've been pretty clear that this is for a season and for a time, but it's a necessary time and a necessary season. Yeah. And by God's grace in many places, there is some waning of infection rates that as vaccination rates continue to increase that what we're seeing is that's God's faithfulness and allowing us to come back together safely safely is something that we should rejoice in as long as we're doing it in a way that is safe.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I've noticed personally because I I don't have a ton of zoom calls that I have to do for my job. I maybe have a meeting every, you know, every week or so I have, or a couple meetings every week. What? I've noticed that it's actually, even for me who's relatively inactive on Zoom or, or WebEx or whatever your video platform is, it actually is becoming hard for me to feel the difference between a Zoom worship service on Sunday and a Zoom meeting with with my te- you know my team at work that I, I'm meeting with. So I, I, I just feel like at this time, uh, it's starting to the lines are starting to blur. Um, You know, if you have a job where you work from home and you're on Zoom and then you Zoom with your your grandkids or your brother in law or your sister who lives in in Minnesota, whatever it is, all of a sudden these different kinds of like types of interactions start to all run together uh, and it it really can be kind of detrimental. So I'm excited. I guess if I could bring an encouragement or an exhortation out of this to people, if you have the ability to meet safely with people uh you know in your town if if you have someone that you've been studying the bible with and you can get together and now that it's starting to get nicer out maybe you sit in a park and you do your discipleship bible study instead of doing it over a zoom call, take that opportunity to get out from in front of your computer screen and go see some people. And if you gotta For wear sure. a mask, wear a mask. If you For sure. are, are lucky enough where everybody's vaccinated, take off those masks and hug each other, right? It's time. Like we, we we're at the point where if everybody's vaccinated, we're safe enough to start to get back to normal a little bit. Um, one thing I don't want to, don't want people to think because we were so, um, I'll say like we were aggressive about the importance of masking. Of course. I don't want people to think that we are saying that that should continue forever, even if it's not deriving any sort of benefit. Now that we've reached the point where God has blessed us with the ability to get out from behind our screens and to see each other and to interact like regular human beings again, we should start to take advantage of
0: that in increasing ways. There is a season, right? Turn, yep. turn, turn. That's all we we're saying. There was a time where it was important for us to be almost maniacal with this yep. sense, I think, of exhorting people to make sure they're being safe, loving their neighbor by wearing the mask. And there's equally a time when that, by God's grace, will pass. Right. And we'll return to some sense of normalcy. And in the Western world, for the Western hemisphere, as the temperatures warm up. I love your idea. I would just add to that, grab your iPad, which is hopefully already loaded with Logos Bible software and take that and use it as part of your discussion on the scriptures, but find creative ways. There's lots of parks in our area. I I really take your admonition seriously. And we have like a little backyard and I think it's a great idea to say like, come on over. We'll sit in the back. Yeah. Yeah. Memorial Day is coming up. Let's
1: have some barbecues, drink some beers outside with some friends. It's, it's, It's
0: time. It's it's very much time. And I see that starting to happen. And people, again, taking that and respecting the safety, all the, the normal protocols, yeah. and yet being willing to start to take that first step forward. Yep. And I think that's a wonderful thing.
1: Yeah. What about you, Jesse? What are you denying this week?
0: There's a certain kind of behavior that Uh-oh. I'm denying against. It's not a person. So I want to be clear about that. And if you're the kind of person that has exhibited this behavior, I'm not denying against you. About 10 minutes ago, I said something to the effect of, you should pause this episode and go check out Logos Bible software. If you haven't, that's the behavior I'm denying (laughs) against. If you're able to do that, I want you to go and check it out. I've just been so impacted this week by what a great tool it is. So I'm basically denying against, don't think that it's not for you. And this has nothing to do actually with the sponsorship. This is really just about it being a phenomenally useful tool. And the more that I get into it, the more I find that it's such a lovely companion to the scriptures. And to, again, like whoever you are, to be able to feel empowered in understanding and processing what God has written to us. I just think there's no greater thing. And then to, if I can pair that with what you said about memory and using those techniques to actually remember what you've read. I mean, loved ones, this is as good as it gets. So I'm denying against maybe a person or the behavior that said like, I'll just check that out later. No, 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 no. Stop. We're okay. We'll be here. Stop. It's okay. We give you permission. We encourage you. Stop.
1: Yeah, there will be. There will now be fifteen minutes of silence. (laughs) 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 Yeah, you're you're exactly right. I, I think you know. I think I've I've been using Logos in one way or another for many years now. I mean, I started in college, so we're talking about more than a decade now of me using Logos in one form or another. And I always used it in sort of this really surface level way because I didn't have. Uh, I didn't have a like a software package. I just had free resources I could kind of get together. You get a free book this month. You get a free book that month. Um, you know, sometimes they'll send you. In the past, they've sent out like a twenty dollar gift card on your birthday, like a twenty dollar right uh, credit, um, or like I'll, I'll buy a book occasionally. And now that I've I've taken the time to get a a full package and to actually load in the resources, I'm starting to see how much more substantial and important this tool is and how much more it really does foster um foster a deeper kind of piety and devotion. Not that it's the only way you can have that kind of deeper piety and devotion, but to have all of these resources at your fingertips, I almost feel guilty at times when I'm not making use of them. So it's kind of driven me to search not only the scriptures, but search the historic documents, the tradition, the the confessional documents, to search those deeper because now they're right in front of me. And it's, it's so easy to access. It's almost like I don't have an excuse anymore.
0: Agreed. I'm totally with you. So this isn't though... The Logos Brotherhood. It is the Reformed <laughs> Brotherhood. So let's get into the meat, the center cut of our episode, and that is the covenant of grace. And yeah. just by way of kind of bringing everybody to the place where we're at right now, and some way of summary, but also just kind of to set the table for what we're about to talk about. You know, we mentioned before, the Bible represents God's relationship to his human creation in terms of kind of a two covenant structure. And it's really succinctly summarized in the Westminster Confession of Faith in chapter seven. But God created Adam and Eve within a covenant structure called the covenant of works in which God commanded our first parents to refrain from eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Of course, that's like Genesis two and implicit within that warning was a promise of confirmed blessed righteousness should Adam and Eve had obeyed. But of course, like spoiler alert, we know how that ended. (laughs) And so enter then this covenant of grace. So with the fall of our first parents, God immediately, like right away, not plan B like we talked about before. This is plan A. God immediately instituted the covenant of grace in the midst of the pronouncement of the curses upon the serpent, Eve, and Adam. That's in Genesis 3. So I think what I wanted to emphasize from the outset as we talk about this is this was God's will from the beginning. God is present in this. God is orchestrating this. God is expressly, 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 (laughs) expressly, I got so excited, expressly articulating That there is a covenant of grace. It's impounded right in Genesis three. So, like when you're explaining to people, like when somebody says to you, "Well, what is the covenant of grace?" What is like your go-to explanation for what that is?
1: Yeah, I mean, the the covenant of grace, um, strict strictly speaking, is is the promise to deliver God's people from the enemy of God, and and the fulfillment of that promise will be found in the mediator of that covenant, who is Jesus Christ. And so, so I actually really like it's funny. I remember this really, really clearly. When I first started studying covenant theology as like as a specific thing, I was reading Mike Horton's uh, book Introduction to Covenant Theology, and and I I we, we love we're very pro Mike Horton on this show. Like, don't take this the wrong way. This is one of those areas where I actually look at Mike <laughs> Horton's theology a little bit. I'm like, uh, I'm not so sure because because he does hold this republication. And I remember right. I was in the Reform Pub, and Les Lanfear asked the question, "Who is the covenant of grace made with?" And I was like, "Well." You know, it's made with, with uh, all people and the people who are baptized. That's the covenant of grace. And he's like, actually, it's made with Jesus. I was like, what? No. <laughs> and then I looked at the Westminster Short Catechism, and question 20 says, Did yes. God leave all mankind to perish in the state of uh, sin and misery? He says, God having out of his mere good pleasure from all eternity elected some to everlasting life did enter into a covenant of grace, to deliver them out of the estate of sin and misery and to bring them into the estate of salvation by a redeemer. But what it doesn't say, and we have to go to the larger catechism, which we'll do, I'm sure, later, it doesn't say he made the covenant of grace directly with Everyone. And this is actually one of those things that I think is different between kind of a general evangelical who wants to think in the structure of covenants, right? You sometimes have people who latch onto this covenant idea, and they sound a lot like covenant theology, sounds like covenant theology. But uh, this direct transactional covenant that God makes with each individual person, right? God God promises you to do this and you promise to do that. That's actually not what's going on in the scripture. And that's why it was important for us to start with the covenant of redemption to establish that Christ is the mediator of this covenant. Christ is the one who is in full agreement with the father, right? In this anthropomorphized language we talked about to redeem the elect. And then the covenant of works demonstrates what is required to obtain salvation. And, and that would have been granted to Adam and all of his posterity. Now in the covenant of grace, we recognize just as Adam, the covenant of works was made with Adam and in Adam, all of his posterity. Now we can look at the language in the covenant or in the Westminster, larger catechism, which says that the covenant of grace is made with Christ and all of the elect in him and you could probably substitute all of all of his posterity as long as we understand it's a yes. spiritual posterity it's a mystical union posterity that are are united to Christ rather than this linear hereditary posterity that would have happened with Adam so I think it's important to delineate those things because what we're not saying uh, when we talk about the covenant of grace is that God has this direct transactional covenantal relationship with each individual as individuals, right? There is an individual aspect to the covenant of grace. We are, we are ingrafted into the covenant of grace and we now have covenant obligations and covenant blessings that flow through that. But primarily this is a, a transactional covenant between the father as father and the son as mediator, right? So now we're not talking about the covenant of redemption. We're not talking about some sort of agreement within the Trinity. We're talking about the God God the Father and then, you know, we'll talk you'll you'll hear in the interview with Adonis Vidu next week uh, about inseparable operations, but God the Father and then maybe with like little asterisks is the Son and Spirit also. The the Godhead makes this covenant with Christ according to his humanity and then all of those who are united to him by faith and, and joined to him through that faith by the working of the Holy Spirit that are sort of swept into the covenant as with Christ as the head and mediator yes. of that covenant.
0: Yes. Which in many ways is similar to what we talked about last week, isn't it? With respect to the covenant that works as Adam as the head. Right. That exactly. we in, in a similar way, at least, not the same way, but we're swept into that covenant with respect to the fact that we also failed, we also fell. And so therefore we needed a redeemer to save us. There was... In some ways, this sense that the covenant works, as you said, exemplified all the things we could no longer do. And that even as we are born, we've already failed it. And every day after our birth, we just continue to show that we have, in fact, failed it. I sense that in the telling of your story of your time in the online or the Reform pub there, there was like a missed opportunity. I really thought you were going to say when Les was like, who did God make the covenant of grace with? That you were going to respond with, yo mama! I was like... As like <laughs> way just to be funny. I mean, but, I don't
1: know if Les's mom's a Christian or not. I, th- I think she probably <laughs> is. So,
0: I mean, I he was like still that... a
1: Baptist at the time. He was still a, a Credo Baptist at the time. So he was, he was sort of, it was sort of a gotcha moment for him. And then I was like, oh, actually, I think I'm really wrong on how I understood this covenant <laughs> theology thing, thing works. So, yeah, yeah, it's, it, it was a learning experience for me because that is not instinctively how we would think about the covenant of grace if if right. we did not reflect carefully on what the scriptures have to say and i think this is as good a time as any to just just acknowledge let's just put it out there the there are significant time. differences between how reformed baptist 1689 baptists and what, what? Uh, and westminster or continental presbyterian reformed thinkers think about the covenant of grace, right? And then even even within the 1689 group, there's the 1689 Federalists. And then there's, right. I don't know if there's a fancy term for it, but the 1689 non-Federalists, I, I don't really know. But cool there are guys. people who hold the 1689 Confession of Faith that don't hold the 1689 Federalist understanding right. of the covenants. All of that said, we acknowledge that there are, are differences. We did an episode uh, on that, there was really good episodes on distilling theology about that with Sam Renahan, uh, his book, Mystery of Christ. I have some disagreements with it, obviously, but it's a good primer on the subject. But what I want to focus on is really these things that we agree on of what it is what this covenant of Grace is. The difference in the difference between uh, sixteen eighty nine federalism and then more traditional reform Presbyterian federalism really more has to do with when it is that the covenant is. Um, ratified, right? right? Who's in the covenant um, as far as salvifically in the covenant? Who's who's in the covenant internally? There's some disagreements there, and how that plays out. But the, the main difference is when it's administered. When is it ratified? As far as what it actually does, what it actually accomplishes, most of that is pretty much the same. And and we went through the the language in the the um, the different standards even most of the language is the same. Really, the difference is not found in how we understand those covenants to unfold. It's really mostly the timing of when they unfold that we have that disagreement on. And that has implications, but we don't want to focus on that for this episode. We want to focus more on where it is that we have some common ground and what it is that that Reformed thinkers of all flavors kind of think this covenant of grace is and what it does.
0: Yeah, like the Baskin-Robbins, like the 31 flavors of Reformed theology, so to speak, like what they all like would agree on? Yeah. It's all ice
1: cream. I mean, it's just different, slightly different flavors of ice cream.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That's pretty good actually. Yeah. So I think what we're saying is that when we talk about this, like the common flavors to speak or the common ice cream with the common base, this just went off the rails for me really, really fast is we're talking about God, the father, son, and Holy spirit. They entered into an agreement to redeem a people and the son voluntarily, volitionally undertook to become incarnate for the salvation of his own people. Right. So the father sent the son. And the son came as the Godman mediator and the spirit empowered the son to perform his work and become the gift given to the son who then poured out himself for the church, like kind of like X 2, shout out to X right. 2 style. So that pre-temporal agreement, we've already said is sometimes called like the pactum salutis, which is like the super cool guy way yeah. of saying it. It's the covenant of redemption, the covenant of peace. So the covenant of grace then is, in my opinion, like implicit in the covenant of redemption, right. but, and here's what I wanted to bring up. It stands in distinction because if somebody looks at this, they might see people saying some theologians include the covenant uh, of redemption within the covenant of grace. But it seems to me that it really is best to distinguish it from its temporal enactment in history. So like whenever Jesus's pre-existence is affirmed, we have an implicit reference to this covenant of redemption. So for instance, like in his high priestly prayer, Jesus prays to the Father that he would be glorified with the glory he had before he became incarnate, of course, in John but the covenant of grace is a descriptive of God's intent to save a people for himself beginning with the fall in Eden and culminating in the new heavens and the new earth. Right.
1: Yeah, so we did make the statement that there is there are some who will com- in, you know bring those two covenants together and sort of treat them or think of them as a single covenant right. uh, and I made the comment that I'm starting to lean that direction. What I don't want to pe- uh, what I don't want people to think we're saying or I'm saying is when we talk about the covenant of grace, for example, as Presbyterians, we talk about how there are various covenant administrations that are all a single, uh, they're all administrations of a single covenant. When we talk about the covenant of redemption and the covenant of grace being united or somehow somehow one or connected, we're not just saying that the covenant of grace is a sort of a unique administration of the covenant right. of redemption. What we're saying is that the covenant of redemption is this pre-temporal, eternal, add extra, uh, agreement among the persons of the Trinity to enact the covenant of grace. Right. And, and, and so that becomes much more, um, interconnected. There's more continuity going on between those two covenants than there yes, is, for agreed. example, with the covenant of works. It's not to say the covenant of works is not, um, is not part of that d- decree that is found in the covenant of, of redemption or the council of peace. But it is to say, even though it's a distinct covenant, the covenant of grace is the the chosen decreed means by which the covenant of redemption is fulfilled. So so in the covenant of redemption, as we spoke about, the father and the son and the spirit, they, they come to an agreement. And again, anthropomorphized language, we're talking in, in analogous ways to comprehend something we can't comprehend. They they come together to this agreement that there will be a people. God will have a people, the Son will have a bride, the Spirit will indwell those people who are that bride, and and that's going to happen. The covenant of grace now is the way, in in a context of sin, which of course was decreed by God, that that comes to pass. So so the covenant of redemption is made chiefly between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. The covenant of grace is made between the Father son and spirit as god and the son according to his humanity as Nate, as a man as the second adam and then as we said now now all of those who are elect as they are united in christ in time by the spirit they're now brought into that covenant to gain the benefits of that covenant and it's a little bit strange because this is something that i, I picked up reading witsius and i don't have the citation right on hand so i'm kind of summarizing but but the the challenge with this is that the benefits of the covenant of grace are slightly different for Christ as the mediator than they are for those who are brought into the covenant by, um, by the uh, spirit when they are united with Christ, they're slightly different. And so Christ as the mediator of the covenant of grace, he obtains the benefit and his blessing in the covenant is that he is redeeming a people. That's his blessing in the covenant in a sense Ours is almost like we're the beneficiaries, right? If you think exactly. about a life insurance policy or some sort of uh, insurance policy, um, I'm the insured party in a, a long-term disability um, or a, let's say a life insurance policy. It's a little bit easier to, to understand. I'm the the insured party. But I don't actually get benefits from the life insurance policy, right? I mean, I guess right. I, I get some benefits now that I have some peace of mind if something were to happen to me that actually has some money to take care of funeral expenses, et cetera. But the, the person who's now brought into that life insurance policy as a, as a party to the policy, but not actually the subject of the policy, she gains benefits as a sort of secondary beneficiary. Right. That's kind of like what's happening in the covenant of grace. Christ is the primary party with whom the the covenant of grace is made. And there are certain benefits he receives as the mediator of that covenant that he is is a unique party to but then us as his bride, right? Us as the one married right. to him, we receive things as a, as a subsidiary beneficiary, essentially. So I, I think that's important for us to recognize. It's a hard concept to get our head around. And I'll, I'll pull together, um, if I can find it, the specific area in Witsius and include that in the newsletter. It was really instructive to me because he goes through and he talks about the different kinds of parties to different covenants that are, are available and what it is that these different things represent, right? Christ says the surety of the covenant uh, is is a different function in that covenant than us as the one who are guaranteed. We're the ones that are receiving the surety or we are we're protected by the surety of the covenant. So I think that that's a key distinction that I think, as I said, I think this is not an intuitive, instinctive way that a lot of people think, at least in our culture, where we are very individualistic. We don't think about these, these covenantal ag- agreements that have multiple parties and multiple beneficiaries. That's not something we interact with a lot. Consciously in our daily life. So when we think about how it works that God saves us, we're like, well, yeah, God promised to save us if I can supply faith and we have this right. agreement. And that's just not at all what we're actually saying when we talk about the covenant of grace.
0: Right. It's not like some app- weird application of like the sinner's prayer. Like somehow right. you appropriate, like it's all out there. You just come with like, I'm coming with empty hands. I'm showing myself to be a poor, humble sinner. And therefore, if I just reach out, I'll be able to grab all these things and then take them for my own. That's not what we're saying. And I would say, like, the only thing I'd add to what you said there is, I think possibly, maybe... If you have any experience in like the industry of finance, you're more familiar with this idea right. because like there's lots of parties used to derivative contracts, this kind of thing. So I think what you said is actually really helpful because what we're saying here is that Christ still gets priority. He is still preeminent. He still has a special role. He still has special privileges. You don't get everything. You and I don't get everything because Christ has given it to us. Right. He is still the one who has won the victory. And therefore, therefore he still has preeminence in his role and in his place. So to that end, I think what we're saying is we don't want to get it twisted and confused like what's happening here, that God through Jesus Christ is still the victor. We receive the benefits of that victory, but we are not the victor. Right. And so it's I think it's helpful to know then that kind of points us to the direction of, well, to whom is the covenant of grace made with, which you, I think, enumerated really well at the opening of this episode. And that is, it is made through Jesus Christ in a derivative sense we are able to benefit from that. But we are, I like what you said. I mean, you had me at insurance contract. We are (laughs) beneficiaries of that. And we are, so it's like, how many times have you heard like this cliche phrase, like we want to become like Jesus. And I think, well, that's great, but you can't be Jesus. So we need to understand what it means to become like Jesus, but not to try to insert ourselves in a sense that like, because we've been clothed in righteousness that somehow we are Jesus. This is like like classic Philippians 2. Everything you just said is why Paul writes, he's been given the name that is above every other name. And that my name is not going to be above every name. Your name is not above every name. Even though we still receive the benefits of what Christ has done, it's still Christ. And I think I also want to point out that, you know, if we go back through the scriptures and you kind of just sense again how God is moving in this covenant of grace, how he's bringing it to fruition. He's blossoming it, like going all the way back to like Genesis 8 when we're talking about Noah and the flood. You know, it should be pointed out that some of that there we're talking about is like this common grace covenant. It's given to further the progress of the covenant of grace. So in other words, it's it doesn't exist for its own sake. The common grace, which we often kind of just say is part and parcel of life, that of course God allows the sun and the rain to shine on those who are just and unjust. Common grace subserves special grace. Right. So we're talking about something that is like above and beyond what we just say is God is kind and loving to all people, to all things, to all good. I hearken back to the previous episode where I talked about the covenant with ferrets. That doesn't exist. <laughs> like God still takes care of ferrets. He takes care of birds. There's a common grace in that. But we're talking about is something greater and the greater one is Jesus Christ who secured it, but he still gets preeminence. He's still above and over and in charge of all that stuff. We just receive it by beneficiary, which again, unlike an insurance contract where we might sign and pay the premium and receive those benefits, it comes to us all because of God's choosing in his kindness towards us. Yeah. We don't do anything by which way we're signing up for the policy and providing the premium. Jesus paid the premium, and so therefore he's still the covenant holder, so to speak.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that, that I think that's really good. And just a, I, I know this is like the all Lagos plug hour, apparently. Yes, but, let's do it. <laughs> uh, I was able to find the quote I'm looking for because I typed into the search box "surety" serious? within Get five out. words "covenant." Right? Get out. And what I came up with is the beginning of chapter five of book two of uh, the first volume. And it says, the title is, I. this probably didn't require me searching to find this because the title of the chapter is Of the Surety Ship and Satisfaction of Christ. But I didn't have any idea where to look. And it says here, uh, for he is called the surety of the covenant or testament, Hebrews 7.22, not only nor principally because he engaged to us in the name of God to fulfill the promises contained of the testament if we obeyed his commands as Calius trading in the footstuff of his master Sassinius artfully pretends so he's he's responding to somebody else it says but because he engaged to God for us to perform all those conditions in our stead upon which we were to receive the testamentary inheritance so pict- right picture picture it this way this is not a perfect analogy because no analogies are perfect but picture it this way let's say that you have a rich a rich relative right and the rich relative says, um, I, I'm going to leave you all of my, all of my wealth, provided that you're able to run a seven minute mile, right? Well, I, I can't run a seven minute mile. I mean, I suppose I could probably train and run a seven minute mile, but what this basically does is someone else steps in and says, there's a provision in there those, but if for some reason you can't run a seven minute mile, you can appoint someone to run that seven minute mile for you. So the surety ship is the person who steps in between the two contracting parties. And they're the one that guarantees that both pi- both sides of the contract are able to be fulfilled. So now let's say Jesse, who I, I think probably can run a seven minute mile. I go, well, there's no way I can run a seven minute mile. But sh- but my, my rich great aunt Bessie said I can appoint someone else. So we go, Jesse, why don't you run a seven minute mile for me? And you're like, sure, I'll be happy to do that. You run the seven minute mile. You don't actually gain the benefits of the, the, the inheritance. Right. I gain the benefits of the inheritance, but you, as the surety ship, fulfilled my obligation and therefore allowed the benefits of that contract or that covenant to now become mine. So that's what's going on in the covenant of grace. And, and the, the, uh, this is how it ties together, right? We, that's why we went through this series and the steps we did. Because in the covenant of redemption, the agreement was made that Christ would be that surety ship. In the covenant yes. of works, yes. the terms that Christ was required to fulfill in order to discharge the covenant of grace to his people were established and b- by demonstrated by Adam to not be possible for an ordinary human being, right? So that's why God had to come in behind Adam who failed, become man, and now step into that role of suretyship. That's the covenant of grace now is that the covenant of grace is an agreement between God and Christ as the surety ship or the mediator. And then because of that agreement, we are now party to those covenant benefits that we Amen. would not have been able to obtain on our own. So I'll, I'll make sure that this, the the link to this uh, chapter in Lagos uh, is available and I'll grab a, a, a representative quote here and put that in the newsletter. But, but Witsius explains it so well. And I think this is one of those things that, that, people miss when they're not reading classic reform sources, right? Right. Because this is stuff that uh, we all, we all are like, oh yeah, I don't understand this. I don't get, I don't get this made with Christ. And then in him, the, like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Why doesn't God just make it directly with me? But when you start to read these older writers who understood these covenantal relationships and they parse out all these different terms, they understand the Greek language. I mean, he makes the arguments from various Greek and Hebrew terms about different kinds of covenants that existed in those cultures. I would never be able to do that. I I, I mean, I'm I'm, decent at Greek, but I'm not that good. I don't, I mean, I don't have that much of a grasp of the original context. So, so I would just check out this document. It's really good. Um, but, but it's important for us to get that. It's important for us because otherwise, and this is what he is, um, this is what he's pushing back against when he refers to this Kerkelius or Sassinus, the, the Arminian and the Sassinian perspective on covenants more or less was that Christ in a sense, uh, makes it so that God can relax his perspective. He can relax right. the terms of the covenant. Um, not so much sort of your run-of-the-mill Arminians, but the Arminians of the day, of, of the day of the Candace of Dort really were holding this govern- governmental perspective on the atonement, right? So what Witsius is saying, no, 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 you've got it all wrong. Because that only makes Christ kind of half a mediator. It makes Christ the negotiator uh, of our right, of exactly. our salvation. He's the one that negotiates with the Father to get us a better term rate. Right, he lowers our interest rate, as it were. It's kind of like those credit card consolidation companies where you, you know, they buy all your debt and then you owe them money, and they maybe give you a lower interest rate, or more likely, they jack it way through the roof and you just totally got ripped over. But that's not what Jesus does. He's not negotiating with the Father on our behalf. He's fulfilling right. the contract that we could not could not forgive. This is a, a, a benefactor coming in and paying down your hundreds of thousands of dollars of student debt. It's not someone convincing the school to forgive your debt. It's someone paying that debt for you. Exactly. It's a totally different concept.
0: Kinsman redeemer. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that is beautiful. So here's the thing. I want everybody to pause for just a second, take a deep breath. Cause that was huge. I think what you just said needs to be thought about for a second. So while you're thinking about that, scroll through your podcast feed. Find a podcast, I dare your loved ones who have used the word surety ship more than we have just used it in this yes. particular episode. That word is in a bear market and should be used more. And I think your point is really great. There's also like a point in every Reform Brotherhood podcast. I can feel it. You can feel it. I wonder if our brothers and sisters can feel it. And it's this resistance level, it's either It's going to take off from here or we've reached the Zenith. It's either it's a resistant point and we're going to come back down or it's a support level and we're going to shoot back up. So I want to in I'm not even going to make the judgment. I'll leave it up to everybody else as to where we are right now. But I want to drop a Bible rocket on you as we kind of start to talk about, because what you basically said to me was Jesus is the covenant of grace. Right. I mean, we yeah. had to like be very specific about it, Jesus is the covenant of grace. Right. Simplest definition. And so I want to read something from uh, John chapter one. Um, incidentally, I'm reading it from a Logos Bible <laughs> software, but here's John uh, chapter one verses 14 through 18. Here's what we find. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out. This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, End quote. So this idea, I've just been fascinated with this idea of what does it mean full of grace and truth? You know, this idea that that is describing the spiritual riches that Christ brought into the world when he became incarnate and set up his kingdom. He came full of the gospel of grace in all of this contradistinction to the burdensome requirements of the ceremonial law. You know, he came full of truth of like real true solid comfort in contradistinction to the types and the figures and the shadows of the law that were represented in Moses. And in short, the full grace of God, the full truth about the way of acceptance were never clearly seen until the word became flesh dwelt among us on the earth, opened the treasure house, as it were, and revealed grace and truth in his own person. That is the covenant of grace, and it only exists in Jesus Christ. So I yeah. love that. While we're processing what it means to like that, in like theologically, it inevitably, like almost, without us even having to get there, it led us to Jesus, because that is where this full representation of the covenant of grace lies.
1: Right. Yeah, and, and that's why... I have to put on my my Presbyterian 1646 hat. It's okay. Go ahead. Hat. Do it. That's one of the actual like disagreements. I know we said we weren't going to spend a lot of time on this, but that's one of the things where there's a disagreement between uh, 1689 Federalists and Presbyterian Federalists, Presbyterian Covenant Theology, is the idea that Christ is the sum and substance of the covenant of grace. What you do with that has a has a distinction with how you think about the Old Testament covenant administrations. Right. If you think that the covenant administrations in the Old Testament are not the covenant of grace, that are maybe they're not the covenant of works, but there's there's some other covenant. There's something else going on. Um, then, then you don't see Christ as the substance of those. You might see him as sort of shadowy, being shadowily, shadowily prefigured <laughs> in those, and that's that's where the 1689 position well, goes. But the the Westminster position, the, the the classically reformed covenant position, is going to argue that Christ is actually the sum and substance of all of those covenants. That sure. that the the shadowy the shadowiness is a shadow of substance it's a substance that's hidden beneath the surface that you don't fully see but it's still there and just to just to sort of put some biblical feet on that coming from colossians 2 chapter uh, colossians chapter 2 verse 16 it says therefore let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a sabbath right so what paul is saying uh, at least how i read it is he's writing to people who are not not going to observe the Mosaic law. And he's saying, don't let people pass judgment on you because you're not doing that. And he says in in verse 17, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So the the outward observances of the Old Testament were were the shadowy figure. And Christ was the one creating that shadow, right? When you look at a shadow, you see a form. But that form is not the thing creating the shadow. It's the shadow itself. The thing that creates the shadow in the Old Testament covenants, the the covenant of grace administered through the Old Testament covenants is Christ himself. So what you're saying that Jesus Christ is the covenant of grace is spot on biblical logic because the substance belongs to Christ. And so we, we can't, people can't judge us for not observing the Old Testament festivals for not observing Old Testament circumcision, for not observing Old Testament dietary laws or the Jewish Sabbath on a Saturday and all of the ceremonial accretions that are associated with that. We cannot be judged for that because the substance of those covenants is now ours because Christ is ours as our rightful possession, our rightful uh, husband and, and Lord. So the substance, the covenant of grace is ours because Christ is ours. And that's that's really the central issue at hand. When we talk about these sort of these evangelical perspectives where they latch on to covenant theology, right? I think I think you could probably put John Piper in a category like this, right? He likes the language of covenant. He uses the language right. of covenant, but he doesn't hold this covenant structure. And so that the covenant is something external to Christ for him. The covenant is a is a sort of an arrangement between him and Jesus, right? Well, but the covenant for, and 1689 federalism would hold this same thing. This, the way that it parses out in the old Testament is a little different, but in the new Testament, we're lockstep right on par with them. We're in the same spot that, that Jesus Christ is that covenant. We have no relationship, no covenantal relationship with Christ apart from Christ himself, who is the substance of that covenant. And if you don't take anything else away from that episode, and all you take away is that Jesus Christ is our covenant of grace. Amen. He's the one who is right. our suretyship. He is, he is the agreement we have with the Father. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the central feature that we need to, to land on with this.
0: I totally agree. I, actually, that's like the best of all places to end. Two things. Jesus Christ is our covenant of grace and suretyship. Yes. Use that word, bring it into all of your common conversation because yeah. it's a crowd pleaser.
1: It is. People don't know what it means. So it opens up. <laughs> it really does. Oh, I mean, it opens up this, this conversation <laughs> point, right? If you are, if you're able to slip in the word suretyship into a conversation and someone is like, well, what does that mean? You'd be like, well, the easiest way for me to explain it is to talk about how Jesus Christ is our covenant Boom. of grace, and what yeah. that means is that like he he stands between us and the Father to fulfill the obligation we couldn't, so that way we can be united with Him. Like that's right that's on. a perfect entry for the gospel by using this obscure like like financial uh, contractual word that nobody in in modern culture uses. So right. I don't and, know if you again, were joking or not, but I'm a hundred percent serious. <laughs>
0: No, I'm not really that, I'm not joking that much, because <laughs> I I love that word. And uh, here's the thing, you're right, like, and we need to respect the fact that, though it might sound strange, when we look in our world right now, we might say, like, well, there are secular things like contracts. All of these things are a shadow. Right. You know, God has created all things, and so in many ways... All the examples we've used, all these metaphors of contracts are far more close to what Christ has done for us than we even can care to believe or understand because we think they're disassociated because like, well, that's, there's a spiritual realm and there's a physical realm, but all these things are meant to, they're all again, to use Westminster language, subservient to our salvation, that all of these things are meant to help us and propel us forward to understanding all of what God has done for us, including the covenant of grace, as manifested in the sense of covenant and contracts and derivative language and parties. This is a beautiful thing, loved ones. Like we don't want to let what is this idea of those things in some ways seeming like they are perverse to prevent us from understanding that's a beautiful thing. To be right. saved, to be redeemed, to have a kinsman redeemer, to have somebody yeah. pay it off for us. To pay for, if somebody came to you right now and said, like, I will absolve, I will pay off your mortgage. I doubt that you would be like, that's not necessary. Right. Or you would say, like, you would just fall onto your knees in thankfulness right. and say, Thank you. Yeah. And and that's essentially what we're talking about here, not to be too trite about it. So this again, I think continue this conversation. Go outside. And talk about this with somebody else. Or one of the things you can do is, Tony, we've been saying this for a while. We would like to receive some more voicemails, some more questions in particular for an upcoming QuestionCast episode. And we'd like to set just a couple of parameters around that. So, for instance, please, if you would, refrain from sharing too much personal identifying <laughs> information, like your own telephone number. We like to just release these voicemails into the wild onto the episode in your own voice without much editing. So call us, leave a voicemail. at 607-444-2767. Bros. (laughs) You can email us, but I'll be honest with you. We read all the emails, but we much rather hear the question or hear your thoughts in your own voice. So if you're brave enough, and we encourage you to do that, join the conversation. This is for everyone, it's for all of us. And we hope that you'll be a part of that.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, this community that's building up around around this show and around the Society of Reform Podcasters, you know, I think I think that God and I, I don't say this to be like weird and charismatic and ooky spooky. God is doing something in this little cadre of shows and people, and the people who listen to them. I mean, I'm a part of the Distilling Theology Facebook group, and the conversation in there is awesome, right? And right. I know that uh, Luke and um, Uh, Luke and Kevin have some interesting stuff going on with doctrinal discipleship. And I know that they're, they're in the midst of like final season and, and Luke is engaged and they're, they're getting ready to go. So they're busy. So that's why they haven't got a lot of shows coming out, but they've got, they've got these discussion groups and they've got things going on. I mean, get involved in this community that has started and it's, we didn't, I mean, we didn't do anything special. We just started talking into microphones and putting our voice on the internet, uh, but some of the best conversations that I see, some of the best godly interactions that I see are are in these different ways that people can in, get involved with each other. So check it out. Check out the other shows on the Society of Reformed Podcasters. There's lots of really great stuff. Um, and, you know, I, I just want to make sure that we are out there talking about Jesus Christ and about what what Amen. it is that he has done for us and understanding this aspect of the covenant of grace that we've talked about today that is what it is that jesus christ has done for us we can talk about jesus dying on our behalf we can talk about the resurrection all those things are true and and they should be talked about but unless we connect them to this concept of covenant and this concept of suretyship we really are missing out in the fullness of what it is to be united to christ there's a reason that the bible uses wedding bridal language because that's a covenant that we understand right? There, there's a covenantal aspect that we can understand in terms of those relationships. So, so check it out, um, get signed up for the newsletter. There's lots of good stuff coming. Um, we're excited to kind of like just keep on expanding and keep on changing things up and keep on adding to the things that we can use to encourage the community.
0: Now that is a definitive word. So until we get together and do this all over again, next time, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood.